real hard. <laughs> Does that sound familiar to you out there? I hope it does. If it doesn't, it should. That is the theme to one of the greatest independent horror films of all time, and one of my favorite movies, Phantasm. Aaron, you've seen Phantasm. I have, yeah. Yeah, no one, no one's seen it, by the way. No, no one listening has seen it. Maybe they have, but you know. Everybody are, listening. Chances are. You should see it. I mean, it's a great movie. Everybody listening has seen Phantasm. And the reason for playing that tonight, we have a very special interview uh, call-in from one of the actors from Phantasm, A. Michael Baldwin, who, of course, played Mike in the original, the third and fourth installment, and the upcoming fifth installment, Phantasm Ravager, which we're very excited about, and uh, maybe we can get some nuggets on that film from him. Now, I don't know the character. Which, guy, which one was Mike? Mike was the the kid oh, in the first okay, film. Okay, yeah, he's basically okay. the main character. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, he's wow. the kid who has to has to battle the tall man while you know making sure his brother doesn't leave town. Right. And, and is and, a tall man? He's probably dead by now. No, he's Angus really? Grimm is still very he's much still alive. alive. Wow. Yep, he's going to be in the fifth installment. Are there other um, you know knife balls? Are they still alive? Oh or? yeah, Every, yeah. everything's going to be fired Did up, you man. Get one of those signed. How sick would that be? Yeah, one of the silver spheres. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's people out there who have them. I'm sure there's people <laughs> listening who have those autographed. Uh, uh, certainly something I'd like to add to my collection. That's for sure. Um, before we get to the Phantasm interview with A. Michael Baldwin, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on in the news. Uh, this has been disturbing everyone is the shooting in South Carolina, which I'm sure you're aware right. of. I yep. believe it was yep. nine, nine churchgoers uh, were brutally murdered by a gunman down there after he sat for over an hour while they were doing their service and prayer. Which is the uh, weirdest part to me. Why about did he the do that? Thing. Was there, even, was there he, even an explanation on why why that was? Like, well, you what, would think, like, that just shows you how fucking nuts you have to be because, like, you're that the more you, time you spend around, like, it's one thing to walk into somewhere and just start shooting, but, like, to humanize someone for, like, an hour, you know, you're sitting there around people, you're, like, you know, you're seeing them... Yeah, you, you see, they're good people. Yeah, I mean, they're in a church. Yeah, praying. yeah, it's just as weird. And then just to, I don't know. It's yeah, that's that's kind of that's one of the most disturbing things about it, isn't it? And then uh, these, you know, photographs in this website that was released of him oh, taking they, all these really maniacal they selfies. Can't post enough of them. No, of course not. Yeah, they, yeah, we know more what the shooter looks like than we do the victims, and that's that's uh, an issue that I take with you know all these shootings that happen. You you always hear about the perpetrator, and you don't hear enough about yeah, the, they the victims. They shouldn't even tell you the guy's name. Oh, some douchebag killed you know a bunch of people. 
Yeah, just like get, you don't need to know. Like, why are people like reading his manifesto? Like, who gives a shit? This is what he wants. This is we're basically yeah, exactly. giving him what he wants, you know. And uh, uh, it's just a sad state of affairs. And this, of course, reignited the long-standing debate over the Confederate flag flying on federal property Same. in uh, or state property in South Carolina. Uh, I believe it was over the Capitol, the actual Capitol building, but it was then moved to a different place on the grounds of the Capitol. And uh, now there's new calls to take it down. Uh, my thing is, why hasn't it been taken down already, like a long time ago? Right. Yeah. Why is this the thing? Well, that that's just, it's the weird... This is the reaction to it. it. Like this a is flag. everybody missing the point. Exactly. Like, at once. Like the entire country is just missing the point. You know, for a lot of people down in the South and places like South Carolina, uh, that flag is their quote unquote heritage and their history. And it, I don't like the American flag. <laughs> Fuck that flag. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, everyone has an opinion on, on symbolism and what a flag or, you know, uh, imagery can mean. I mean, obviously, look what Hitler did with the swastika obviously for the third reich yeah you that, ruined that one that existed long before <laughs> yeah. the holocaust did sure it not did. uh and the confederate flag i believe existed you know before the civil war um but you know everyone equates it with a um just a racist antiquated symbol um which i agree with and um you know people have the right to have it on their truck or have it in their house but that all that is is putting a target right, on your back right. saying hey exactly. i'm a douchebag yeah so, the, you know, the, anyone who has, you know, a Confederate yeah, flag on their truck, those are the people you don't... Yeah, it shouldn't be illegal to buy it. It shouldn't be right. illegal to own it. It shouldn't be illegal to display it. But the state, you know, like just embracing just this antiquated, traditional fucking symbolism this that rag, no one really... really. Gives, you know, I say, yeah, cares. I say take it down. Don't, don't fly it on... on you know, official. You're not going to rise again, all right? Unless you've been rising again for like you know 40 years. Yeah, my friend Justin always says, "Oh yeah, yeah, the south, <laughs> the south will rise." Yeah, shit floats. <laughs> this one from Justin. So, yeah, that's in the news now, and and uh, you know the, the the governor down there wants it wants to take it down. I think the the, the assembly has to vote. I Walmart, believe. Walmart started pulling everything with the the confederate flag they're not selling any more tchotchkes huh from the confederacy (laughs) what's next dukes of hazard right right (laughs) oh boy so you know that'll uh i'm sure that will resolve itself quickly not and another foray in the 2016 race is donald trump i love it i mean come on i love it it. was already a three-ring circus it's now like a yeah thousand ring circus awesome did you see his announcement Oh yeah, yeah. His uh, what, what do you what do you mean? His the, official announcement yeah, where yeah. he where he basically paid. Well, I heard it. Yeah, paid most of the people in the audience like fifty to a hundred bucks to be there shouting right. for which him. Which is what every they all fucking do. That well, they, I'm yeah, sure. they, they have the they have the home base advantage. Yeah, I mean, yeah. um, I would and, love uh, to be paid to go to that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll go for free. I mean, just <laughs> yeah. give me lunch. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I think we should play some sound clips and I'll, I'll we can edit we can add those in. But um, yeah, we should play yeah, some of his speech. Uh, yeah, for sure. He. But, there's a montage actually I can I can dig up that kind of goes through the whole thing real okay. all the all the idiotic shit he says. He's like I stand up to bullies like Rosie O'Donnell in China. I'm yeah. going to make Mexico build a wall. They're going to build it with their labor and they're going to pay for it. All right, yeah, I got the uh, the montage right here. I'm really rich. I'll show you that in a second. And by the way, I'm not even saying that in a brag. That's the kind of mindset, that's the kind of thinking you need for this country. People that know me like me. Does my family like me? I think so. But all of these politicians that I'm running against now, they're trying to disassociate. I mean, you looked at Bush, it took him five days 
to answer the question on Iraq. He couldn't answer the question. He didn't know. I said, is he intelligent? Then I looked at Rubio. He was unable to answer the question. Is Iraq a good thing or a bad thing? He didn't know. He couldn't answer the question. How are these people going to lead us? How are we going to go back and make it great again? We can't. They don't have a clue. They can't lead us. And I can tell you, some of the candidates they went in, they didn't know the air conditioner didn't work. They sweated like dogs. They didn't know the room was too big because they didn't have anybody there. I would repeal and replace the big lie, Obamacare. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. And I'll build them very inexpensively. I will build a great, great wall on our southern border, and I will have Mexico pay for that wall. Mark my words. Obamacare really kicks in in 16, 2016. Obama is going to be out playing golf. He might even be on one of my courses. I would invite him. I actually would say. I have the best courses in the world, so I'd say, you know what, if he wants to see, I have one right next to the White House. Oh, gotta love the Donald. I mean, it's gonna provide some serious entertainment. I mean, well, that's, if anything. I think he's also going to make everyone be a little more honest, because he really doesn't have anything to lose. Like, he did, he's, you can't, you can't buy him off, because he's already, owns him. he got, already got enough money. I'm worth eight billion, Aaron. I yeah. have eight billion dollars. I'm a billionaire. <laughs> I'm worth many billions. And yeah, he's just he, he that's what I love. He says his mind, you know, he says what's on his mind. Like he he might lie. He might be wrong, but he's telling, you know, he's telling you how he feels. So I think it's going to make ev all the other candidates a little more like on their toes. You know, dude, if he gets to the debates. Oh, he's going to at least I mean, right now in New Hampshire, I think he's a, he's second or even above oh, Jeb in the latest God. New Hampshire poll. Imagine the sound clips Come on. we can play after that fucking night. Yeah, that's going to be fantastic. Oh, You're going to have governors dude. and senators, members of Congress, um, you know, people with actual, you know, experience doing that up there on stage. And then you got Donald Trump, who's, you know, um, uh, obviously a, a real estate mogul and a reality TV personnel, uh, personality up there just, you know, taking them to task. You guys are a bunch of losers. You're fired. Yeah, he's going to fire everyone up there. There's going to be so many candidates up there that he's going to have to bring them in the boardroom. How long are the debates? Uh, typically 90 minutes to two hours. Dude, we should uh, podcast, record the From a podcast debate. during, well, we just watch on the TV, like find a way to watch on the TV, like Probably stream it Stream it, or it live or something. And, and then, then just record, you know, do our show like while we're watching the debates. Do color commentary yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I bet we could even get into some of the New Hampshire debates. We could actually bring our equipment Probably. to, because uh, they have them at St. Anselm's and they have them at uh, UNH and other places. I've been to them before um, and uh, been able to go into the, the press gaggle, the, the pit there afterwards where everyone's got their microphones and cameras yeah. and all the, all the, not the top tier candidates, but the, the ones who are, they want to make themselves available for right. anyone who will listen afterwards yeah. and that can always uh, give you some interesting nuggets so I think we should definitely do some kind of debate show our own Jackman Radio debate watch party with color commentary that'd be cool so we'll be keeping a close eye on Donald Trump uh, we're hoping to maybe get a soundbite or two from him personally at some point uh, oh, as he God. is he said he's going to be in New Hampshire we should a lot. get him to say you're listening to Jackman Radio we could try. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that'll you be one of our goals. Charge us like $1,200. <laughs> we got Trump water, Trump comb over combs. <laughs> Send us a cease and desist like a, a year later. Uh, he's going to pick Omarosa as his running mate. It's going to be great. You know, Obama, he can use one of my golf courses if he wants, if he wants to take a little time off. Don't worry about it. 
Another uh, person who entered the race is uh, the governor of Louisiana, Bobby Jindal. Are you familiar with him at all, Aaron? No. That's he a looks terrible like last he looks name. like M Night Shyamalan kind of. Does he? Yeah, he's a younger What's guy. It, how do you say his last name? Uh, Jindal or Jindal? Ugh. Bobby Jindal. Bobby Jindal. Terrible. And he entered, uh, you know, this week, and you know, he was kind of the poster boy of the Republican Party as a young rising member back in 2007, 2008. He gave the official Republican response to the State of the Union and just bungled it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he just he absolutely bungled it. And so since then, he's kind of been on a steady downfall, steady, uh, steady decline. And now he's throwing his hat in the ring. And uh, it seems to be a, a little bit too little too late. Yeah. There's like there's a lot of big names this year. So it's kind of like you can get lost. How are they going to stand? One of them's going to have to make a sex tape or something. I mean, how are they going to stand out? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're going to have to do something like that. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on him and, uh, you know, perhaps he can come in studio and talk about why he would make a good president and, uh, um, you know, perhaps why the people of uh, Louisiana are so angry with him, uh, with his antics down there with respect to the budget and cutting taxes, etc. I think they're always angry in Louisiana. Oh, the weather. Right. Wouldn't you be angry? <laughs> you know, yeah, the house no, is underwater. They, they it's should, hot. They have, they, have, they have the right. You got all these asshole tourists coming in, throwing beads everywhere. Yeah. I'd be pissed off if they did that here in New Hampshire. <laughs> So last night I uh, went and saw Morrissey down in Worcester yeah. at the Hanover Theater, which was an excellent show. Great time. Uh, only about uh, just north of 2,000 seat capacity, so it was a smaller show, which was great. I mean, Morrissey over in England when he plays, plays to like stadiums. I mean, he's yeah. huge over there. Yeah. So here he does smaller venues and theaters, and uh, which he probably likes too, you know. Oh yeah, he can you know connect I more mean, with the crowd. I'm sure he'd like to make more money, but I mean at the same time, it's it's you get sick of fucking doing the same thing over and over. Yeah, yeah. When you play for a bigger crowd, uh, you want to you know you see a lot of a lot of the bigger bands going back, even like the Rolling Stones, and doing warm up gigs or playing for a smaller audience just to kind of feel hungry again. And uh, his he had a five piece backing band that was phenomenal. I mean they were multi-instrumentalists and just you know singing backup vocals and uh, it was just a great show you know he only did two songs from the smiths catalog really what what did he do he did uh meet his murder okay and uh, i forget what the other one was from is off that same album meet his murder uh, queen is dead is that the queen i is think dead? that's an album the queen is dead yeah and uh during meet his murder he had a big screen projected with cows and pigs and animals just being slaughtered i mean he's a you know he's a notorious vegan yeah 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 Yeah, and he he has the uh you know he's got the tenacity to to force that on his audience and yeah uh, which you know i I appreciate that i mean he's got i mean it's done if it's done like artfully i can get i can get with it oh it wasn't subtle or artful at all yeah yeah then i i would have i would have been i don't like that kind of shit (laughs) and believe me people were leaving their seats i started to watch this documentary called earthlings and it was was basically like vegan propaganda it's just the most terrible i didn't i shut it off it was it's like well you were eating your cheeseburger yeah yeah exactly and it was just you know i'll just assume all this terrible things happen to animals and i'll never need to see it (laughs) well it's funny because my buddy dave who i went to the show with was like you know do you think morrissey ever looks at footage of animals out in the wild killing and eating other animals yeah no shit right you know yeah it it is brutal um obviously we probably do it a lot fast i mean you know they they do it pretty fast in the wild too but we we do it i mean even though we're we're definitely assholes about it yeah i mean that PETA video he showed showed the worst of it you know what I mean? He it intentionally it was like you said it was like basically propaganda, and he had young people out in the hallways handing out PETA flyers uh, before, during, and after the show. Motherfucker! Did he have an opener? 
Uh, no, he didn't have an opener, but he had a, a half-hour-long um, montage of his favorite music videos and performances, oh, okay. and just That's weird, kind of cool. weird eccentric clips, which was actually uh, pretty cool. So, I would definitely see him again. And um, you know, he's got quite an impressive solo catalog dating back to like 1988. So, uh, definitely, you know, three times longer than the Smiths were even together. And um, he's he's had a great career, and he's still going strong at 56. And uh, I would definitely see him again. You, you got know, any, man. You got any shows coming up that you're going to... Um, yeah, I'm going to see the, uh, the Melvins this Saturday. Oh, yeah. Pet yeah. the Paradise? Yep, Paradise, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were like one of those Seattle, you know, experimental kind of grungy bands that, you know, they kind of... They inspired Nirvana, I yeah, understand. Yeah. They've been around since 83 or something. Yeah, they've been a, like that. around a while. They're just fucking weird dudes. They so, got the lead singer there with the big bushy, looks like yeah, Sideshow Bob buzzo. kind of. Yeah, it could, it could be an awesome show or it could also just go way over everyone's heads. You know, they're one Have of those bands. Them? I've never seen them before. So it'll be well, interesting. Paradise is a great venue. Yeah, I mean, it is I've, a good I've spot. I've been to a lot of cool shows there and uh, yeah, that'll be fun. All right, well, we will be right back with our exclusive interview with A. Michael Baldwin on Jackman Radio. Don't go anywhere. That is the end of side one of this record. You can turn it over now. If you did not understand me, the first side of the record is finished. It's time to turn it over. are back to Jackman Radio. We are joined by A. Michael Baldwin, the star of the Phantasm series. Michael, how you doing tonight? I'm good, thank you. How is everybody out there in uh, fake radio land? <laughs> We're doing well. Podca uh, podcast land, sorry. Podcast land, yeah. Everyone in podcast land, I believe, is doing well. And uh, we, <laughs> we're, we're coming to you from the base of lovely Mount Monadnock in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. Nice. You ever been there? You ever been up to New Hampshire? Never, not once. Well, maybe someday. Anyways, uh, my, I asked Michael to come on the program tonight because we uh, obviously want to discuss the uh, indie horror classic Phantasm. You know, we want to touch on his career, um, as well as the upcoming Phantasm Ravager. Michael, what have you been up to? What's new? I've been raising... Uh Gather of children and uh, <laughs> living in Texas. Oh, down in Texas, riding, nice. Uh, riding, riding my longhorn on my ranch. Oh, what do you think about Senator Ted Cruz? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really, I really try to stay out of politics as much as possible, but that guy's a douche. <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, we, we met him a couple weeks ago and interviewed him for our show, and uh, he, he lost me when he said he stopped listening to rock and roll music after 9-11. <laughs> Who does that? that that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, he was like, uh, I don't know, we're not going to talk too much. Obviously, uh, on this program, we do talk politics, but tonight we're focusing on uh, another area that we love, which is film. So, Michael, you were uh, the star of the original Phantasm, which came out in 1979. Um, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about you know what the process was of getting into that film and, and what some of your memories are and, and just, you know your thoughts on the legacy of, of the film 36 years later? Well, that's a long, long string of questions. Um, I'll try. I'll do my best. Uh, well, basically, uh, I had made a film with Coscarelli previous to Phantasm called Kenyon Company, and uh, so um, basically uh, that had done pretty well, and then he wrote Phantasm uh, with uh, me in mind, and so uh, thankfully all I had to do was just step into the role, which is always nice. And, um, you know, it was a kind of a sleeper success, and and uh, that was about a billion years ago. And then, uh, I don't know, a whole lifetime went by. We made one of these fantastic movies every once in a while. And um, it's kind of surprising, to tell you the truth, after all this time that, that uh, people are still talking about it and uh, that we actually just made another one. It's amazing. I know it's uh, it is amazing and and you know you guys are like the U two of horror movies. You've had the same lineup since the seventies. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I don't think Bono has either. So you know, being a young teenager on the set of Phantasm, uh, what kind of exploits uh, did you get into, and and uh, what was that experience like? I mean, you were probably around you know what uh, thirteen or fourteen when you filmed the first Phantasm. Yeah, I turned 14 in the middle of shooting somewhere, and, um, you know, it took place over, over the course, we shot it over the course of about a year, I think, and, um, what was it like? You know, filmmaking is fun, and, uh, if you're 13 and you're a star of a movie, well, then you have a certain amount of, certain amount of power, and so I, I, I probably am guilty of, uh, of being, uh, fairly tyrannical <laughs> as a spoiled 13-year-old, um, actor. Yeah, it looked, <laughs> it looked like you guys. Ha- everybody was very young at the time. You know, I was the youngest, but everybody was in their early twenties. You know, and so uh, it was a pretty fun, uh, although sometimes grueling experience. Right, and and now was it was it after that or kind of before that time, like during Kenny and Company, that you you enjoyed some kind of success over in Japan as as like a teen icon. Well, that would have been before Phantasm. Um, yeah, Kenny Company uh, was uh, picked up by 20th Century Fox here in the States, and then they didn't know what to do with it, and then it ended up on the shelf. And then the Japanese company Toho Toa picked it up for uh, Japan, and it became just an instant hit over there. So Don and Dan McCann and Jeff Roth and myself, we did a uh, promotional tour to uh, Tokyo and Miyazaki and uh, Osaka, and we had a wonderful time in Japan. And uh, it was very interesting to uh, to get off a plane in uh, in Tokyo and just instantly be greeted by you know five hundred screaming Japanese girls. It was hilarious. And then uh, a couple of weeks in Japan, maybe, and then back to my regular boring life in junior high school <laughs> in Los Angeles. Right. You can literally say you're huge in Japan. <laughs> I can I can say I was huge in Japan in uh, nineteen seventy eight. That was a long time ago. Oh, it's not that long ago. 
It's, uh, that's excellent. <laughs> yes, it is. That's good stuff, Michael. That's good stuff. Uh, uh, you know, and by the way, tonight's episode of Jackman Radio, uh, we usually are drinking a beer or some kind of adult beverage, is sponsored by Dos Equis. <laughs> I favorite. I drink it often to this day. Uh, that's good stuff. Yeah, that was one of our uh, favorite preferred drinks in college, uh, especially when we would watch, uh, you know, Fit the Phantasm series. So, uh, moving forward, uh, skipping past Phantasm 2, uh, you came back into Phantasm 3. Uh, what was it like coming back into the fold for that film? Well, that was a lot different, you know. I mean, it was truly a whole lifetime had gone by for me. And uh, I had uh, been in the business till I was probably maybe 20 or 21. And then I, I took a very conscious step out of the business. Um, and I really didn't wasn't in the acting community at all for probably a decade. And... Um, and then Don called me one day and said, well, we're going to make that down the street. You want to be in it? And I said, okay. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a different kind of experience. Uh, you know, much older, obviously, now. And, um, um, you know, a good time was had by all. Yeah, I think I think Phantasm Three is one of the the more underrated films that came from the um, you know early to mid '90s, uh, the horror genre, uh, before the slasher kind of came back. And um, you know, it's uh, I wish it would have had more of a theatrical presence, or you know, because it's I mean, 20 years later, it's, I think it still holds up. It's pretty good. I, I like that film a little bit. It's, it's got uh, it's got uh, it's got its high points. Well, it's the reunion with Jody. I mean, that was for everyone out there. That that was a joyous reunion. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Bill, Bill Humber is, uh, is still a, a, a close and dear friend of mine, and we've uh, we've remained uh, very much like brothers uh, after all this time. And uh, he's uh, he's a terrific man. That's beautiful, and, and you know, I think it really does show on the screen too. I mean, coming from the uh, the first installment and then all the way up through, you know, Oblivion, um, you can see the closeness, you know, especially between you and Jody and you, Jody and Reggie, um, and uh, it's uh, it's definitely well, there. That's uh, one of the those things that you can't quite plan for that filmmakers always try to plan for in casting is trying to get actors that not only are good but they're good together. You know, and uh, chemistry is is uh, is not. It might be science, but it's certainly hard to plan for it. So in, in Phantasm, we just got really lucky, I think. Yeah, that's not something you can really fake, you know. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I, <laughs> I think that that's true. I think you can see it on the screen, and and uh, certainly, you know, that's one of the. Uh, one of the enduring uh, and endearing qualities of uh, the franchise is the uh, these relationships uh, between the, these three uh, friends and how they they seem to be so genuine and that's as they are. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I read a couple years ago you were you were an acting instructor or teaching acting classes. Um, who were some of your inspirations when it comes to acting? Well. I've been teaching acting for a lot of years now, and you know, it's a, it boils down to something that's pretty simple. You know, you're as a performer, whether you're on stage or in film or in television or or whatever it might be, uh, you're really trying to have a an authentic moment, 
that's it. That's all you're really trying to do. You're trying to have an authentic moment and have it be, have it look relaxed. Even if it's intense, you know, it's, it's, you're trying to figure out how to navigate your, the coordination of your, your body and the behavior and your voice so that you are, are having an authentic moment. And then that, the camera will absolutely read that if you can do it. And that's, that's the actor's challenge. Definitely. So, so who are some of your favorite actors that kind of have inspired you over the years or that you, you like these days? <laughs> if you don't mind me asking. Um, I think my, uh, you know, my, my favorite actor is not a no, no secret list. You know, my, my favorite uh, actor of all time is uh, Brando. Okay. And then if you go a little more contemporary, I, I think it's very hard to beat Daniel Day-Lewis. Anybody beats that guy ever. Absolutely. And, uh, he is just possibly a genius. Um, so riveting is, are his performances and so total is his commitment. And then, you know, uh, on equal stature with him is Meryl Streep. And, you know, Meryl Streep is like a, a national treasure. And um, it's difficult to find anybody that doesn't like her. Uh, yeah, you're right about that. I mean, the Deer Hunter for me is one of her, you know, tour de force performances, and uh, to this day, she's still getting nominated for various awards and uh, just just crushing it. And uh, I, I would agree with that list. Um, you know, one of my favorite, more she's favorite. Amazing. What's that? She's amazing. Yeah, that's somebody that I, I'd love to, you know, have dinner with, you know, or something. Yeah, I think she. Uh, I think she played Margaret Thatcher recently in Iron Lady. Um, That's a terrific, a terrific movie, and her performance in that film is astonishing. Yeah, she she nailed it. I mean, she you know that was uh, Margaret Thatcher is certainly a divisive figure, and she was able to kind of bring uh, a biographical sketch to her, and and you know fill out the character more. And uh, I certainly enjoyed that movie. I like The Devil Wears Prada too. I'll admit it. You know, I never saw that film. <laughs> Uh, uh, have you uh, have you ever had any experiences or met um, uh, fellow '80s icon uh, Mickey Rourke? I never met Mickey Rourke. No, but I've seen plenty of his movies. <laughs> you know, he was spo- he was supposed to be the next Brando at one point. You know, he was kind of heralded as the next Brando, and I think he kind of left acting to get in the boxing ring. Well, you know, he's a, he's a very good actor. He's got he's got what it takes. He obviously, uh, he, he, he took a different direction in his adult life and yeah. working, you know, and uh, probably that was mostly by choice. Yeah, well, since The Wrestler, he's kind of come back, but uh, uh, moving back to That's the... an awesome it, movie, and he's great, and I think he won oh. an Oscar for that, didn't he? He was nominated, but he lost to uh, Sean Penn, who won for the film Milk. Which was also a good movie, but I was rooting for Mickey. I mean, he's like, I'm just like an old broken down piece of meat. I just don't want you to hate me, you know. I mean, he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's uh, it was a it was a pretty neat performance. He killed it. But yeah. you gotta hand it to Sean. Also, that guy's great. That guy's amazing. He's terrifically good. Oh yeah, oh Sean Penn's. He, he's made yeah he's made some incredible films and certainly a great actor. Uh, nominated many times, I believe. And yeah. uh, moving back to the Phantasm series, uh, I believe you cope, You were one of the producers on Phantasm Four: Oblivion. Is that true? That's true. I co-produced that film with Coscarelli, and uh, I remain proud of that work. That certainly was 
uh, one of the more challenging jobs I've ever had in my life to produce that film and star in it at the same time. Very difficult. Yes, and I just want to say, you did some fine acting in that film, as well as producing, and uh, that might be my favorite Phantasm thus far. Thank you, thank you. That's, a, that's quite a statement. Um, I, it's definitely my second favorite, no question about it. And your first being? Well, you know, the original Phantasm. <laughs> Cool. Of course. Um, but, you know, I thought it was really interesting how, you know, you guys incorporated unused footage from the first film to kind of drive the story forward. And even if the series had ended on Oblivion, I think that would have been a satisfying conclusion. However, I am extremely excited for Phantasm Ravager. Me too. I haven't seen it yet. Can you give us any kind of nuggets or any anything about it? When, when, I'm sure you get asked every day when it's coming out, and uh, any anything you can give us for, for the podcast you know geeks out here. Have, you'll have to ask me specific questions about it, and I'll let you know if I know the answers. But I, the, the 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 bottom line for for today, anyway, is that I I don't really know when it's coming out. I I do know that it's 99.9 percent finished. And that, uh, you know, Costarelli's out there finding some kind of distribution to it for it, which she would do. And um, I really, really hope that we're going to be able to see it this year. I said that last year, so I was wrong. And, you know, I really thought, I honestly thought by now that we were going we to be able to see it. But um, I've only seen the clips that you do when you record ADR sessions, and I've seen that. Some, uh, some other footage from it, but I, I really haven't seen very much of it, truthfully. So. Right, I don't want to pump you for too many details, but um, just going on the chapter that uh, Dustin had in Exhumed, it looks like you you might be kind of dressing like the tall man again, like you did a little bit in the fourth installment. Would, would that be an accurate statement? Uh, no, it would not. Okay, would not be an accurate statement. Um, so to get to the book Exhumed by Dustin McNeil, um, it looks like you, you yeah. had... You had some involvement with that project. Um, it, an excellent book. Uh, it came out last year, and props to you, Dustin, for uh, um, the an exhaustive project and you know getting uh, you know most, if not all, of the cast involved. Uh, what was that process like, kind of on that book? Did, how involved were you? I was not involved at all. Um, I did several interviews for Dustin, and that's it. Interviews uh, that were you know journalistic in nature and um, fairly detailed and. You know, um, you know, he helped me jog my own memory about stuff, and um, and uh, that was that was all really. Oh, okay. It's a great book. He did an amazing. He did an amazing job. Yeah, he sure did, and that was another you know exciting nugget for all of us Phantasm fans out there to see that come out, and uh, obviously just a, a, a true labor of love. Yeah, I, for sure. He worked on it very. I mean, it must have. Take, I think it took him five years or something. It took him quite a long time to put that all together. And, but you know, he he kept at it and he finished it, and uh, it's uh, it's a it's a pretty neat uh, pretty neat souvenir for me to have on my bookshelf. It's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I saw you took a, uh, a phantasm selfie with that book, as a lot of people did. <laughs> and yeah, I did. I did. I, I succumbed. Uh, one of the sections of the book that I like the most, actually, is, is the early chapters about Kenyon Company because, you know, I think maybe I was 11 when I started making that film, and my memory just isn't, isn't that fantastic. Uh, so reading other people's stories about Kenyon Company was 
really, really great. It really brought back a lot of memories. And then, of course, you know, there are crew people, crew members' names in the book from Kenny Company that I could remember their faces, but haven't really remembered their names too much. And so I was able, through the magic of Facebook, to sort of reconnect with some of those people and and uh, say hi and do some reminiscing stuff. And so that part has been also quite fun for me. Oh, that's really cool. And that's a great movie too, Michael. I actually had the chance to watch that movie a couple years ago with my dad, who... uh he lived in California in the um, in kind of the mid '60s, and he said, you know, the, the the plot and just the overall feel of the film kind of reminded him of his childhood. So that's that's a great movie, and I would recommend anyone out there who's a Phantasm fan um, or anyone who just likes great you know great film to check out Kenny and Company. Well, thank you, thank you. I like that movie too. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little morbid, you know. It's a, it focuses on death quite a lot, but it's a it's a it's a very honest and sweet film. And um, for me, it represents just probably the one of the funnest summers I ever had in my whole life. Yeah, you're right. It is a very honest film, and and I I think I remember seeing an interview with Don Coscarelli where or the, one of the producers. Um, where the, the kind of the scary scene, the jump scene with, uh, I think it was Paul Pepperman wearing a, a monster outfit kind of spawned the whole idea to create a horror film based on the reaction from the audience. Yeah, that's the story they tell. I, I think there's probably some truth in it. Sounds good. So what's, you know, this this might be a little bit uh, getting into a little esoteric type stuff, but what, what's your overall takeaway from the mythology of Phantasm? I mean, do you, do you should we take it literal or is it just kind of symbolic of, you know, a brother's fear that it, it, his family is going to leave and, you know, it's manifested through the tall man and, and these various uh, dwarves and creatures. I mean, what do you what do you take away from it? <laughs> well, people ask me that kind of question all the time. I'm sure. And the, the answer is not one that I really am able to provide because, you know, the... The interpretation that fans have of the film is always going to be better and more complex than our interpretations, than the interpretation of the filmmakers themselves. You'd think that it would be the opposite, but really it's not. You know, um, one of the things about Phantasm story structure, if it can even be called that, that works so well is that Don really leaves so many things just very open. And there is not a lot of explanation. And that even though in Oblivion we thought we were giving people so much, you know, they still were like, it's too open, you didn't answer any questions. And, and that is by design. You know, people will project onto the characters and their journey much more interesting uh, backstories and uh, interpretations than we would ever do, to be honest. And so I really think that's one of the strengths of the franchise, that it doesn't even try to answer these questions. And so you're sitting there, and you sort of have to come up with these answers yourself. And that is a powerful device. Oh, that's a great answer. Thank you. That, that That's a... Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of great movies are left kind of ambiguous, like Phantasm, uh, The Shining, um, a recent film that came out from Australia called The Babadook. I don't know if you had a chance to see that one. No, I haven't seen that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's ambiguous, and uh, I, I love the final scene in Phantasm where you say, where Reggie says, it's just the wind. And that, that I think that can sum it all up. <laughs> 
It's just yeah, the... You know, when we made, when we made Oblivion, we, for sure, that was the last movie. There was not going to be another one. And I, I always thought that the ending of, of Oblivion was a great ending to the, fan, to the franchise. I thought it was perfect. You know, it kind of, it looped the story around in a circle that you could imagine just kept going. Yeah, I mean, it was a great love letter. And I, I, I thought that was, uh, you know, that was well done. And so the idea that 15 years later there'd be more, it's, you know, astonishing. It's exciting. I mean, we're, we're, we're spoiled. Let me just say, Phantasm fans are spoiled, A, because we get another movie, and B, how friendly, genuine, and down-to-earth and accessible the cast is to the fans. And we all appreciate that, Michael. You know, we wouldn't certainly be making another movie were it not for you guys. So we only make these movies for the fans. That's the truth. There isn't really any money in it for anybody. Not much. I mean, slogging it out in the de- in the desert there in Death Valley for Oblivion, that couldn't have been too much fun. I mean, how hot it was and, and uh, uncomfortable the, the, uh, the lodgings must have been. Well, yes and no. I mean, remember, movie making is a blast. The truth of the matter is that making films is very, very challenging, and it is there's a lot of pressure. Um, but it's also extremely exciting. You're making a movie, and you know that most of the people working on the movie are very young, they're just out of college, right? And everyone's excited for, for a lot of those people um, working on Phantasm of Oblivion. That was their first job in the business, and and so you know I I got to hire a lot of those people and I'm the person that gave them their first job in the business and many years later sometimes I'll be in LA and I'll run into somebody on some downstage or or some place and the person comes up to me and they're like hey do you remember me I worked on Fantastic Oblivion you gave me my first job as a PA and like now I'm a union gaffer and I've had a whole career an awesome career because you gave me my first job so that kind of stuff is really really exciting yeah, that's beautiful, man. It's it, it almost sounds like the, uh, the the Troma Studios model of independent film, you know, kind of a family. Well, they made a lot. They made a lot more movies than we ever did. That's for sure. They did. They did. But uh, it, it has that independent feel and and uh, not a big you know studio and not corporate. And you know, I've heard that Don Coscarelli has turned down several offers um, or not signed off on to do kind of a big budget reboot or a studio reboot, but with a different cast and a different kind of vision. And uh, that's another thing that the, the, the hardcore and dedicated fans of the series really appreciate. And that, that certainly shows through. Well, you know, that could happen someday. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that, if that happens sometime. Um, obviously, you know, I wouldn't be involved if that was the case, but... Yeah. They'll probably give me some. Uh, they probably give me some cameo, you know. Yeah, some kind of like yeah, like ten second cameo or something, or or kind of just right, just right, right. cheaply <laughs> kill the character off. Yeah, so it appeals to the right. teenage audience, like the uh, the new maybe MT. If they, maybe if they wait long enough, then I can. Uh, if I get old enough, I can play uh, play the uh, the rebooted tall man. How would that be? <laughs> that be. <laughs> I'd, hey, I'd go see. I'd go see that. That would be excellent. That would be large. Large shoes to fill. I would be nerve-wracking as hell. Yeah, you would. You, you couldn't be little and brown and low to the ground. That's for sure. No, no. <laughs> so uh, to kind of wrap things up here, Michael, what do you have planned for the future, and what are you looking at for films or uh, other you know areas that you're interested in? Well, let's see. I got a couple of projects 
coming out. I've got one called Play. This is directed by a guy named Eric Pham, and um, it's a genre of uh, film, you know, teens in peril and whatnot. It's about it's kind of like a Slender Man story. Oh, really? Yeah, so that's uh, that's in the can, and um, I think they're they're uh, they're well into post on that, so we should be looking for that. It's called Play, and then I just signed a deal to do a movie called Violet. And that's uh, also a genre film directed by a friend of mine named uh, Justin Paul Warren. And that starts shooting in the fall here in Texas. And so folks can look for that. And then, of course, there is the lost and, uh, you know, lost in a legal quagmire uh, picture called Brutal, which, although it's been finished for two years now, it cannot. has not been released yet. It's very frustrating. It's a very cool and uh, frightening film. Um, but they had some legal issues, and so, you know, I wasn't in charge. So basically, who knows if, we'll ever, if that will ever see the light of the day. I hope we do. I, I saw some, I think some footage from that or a trailer or some images. Looks like they got you uh, strapped to some kind of chair, basically being tortured. Uh, is, is a... Yeah, it's, it's a Pretty, uh, hence the title. Torture, torture, torture movie. Yeah, hence the title. And um, I've noticed in recent years you've, uh, I, I forgot to ask you this earlier, you've been making more appearances at conventions. Uh, as you have any, you know, coming up, and how has that been? You know, it's, it's really, really good. Um, I, I started doing those shows about maybe six years ago, and I did the first one in Chicago at Flashback Weekend six, six years ago or so. And I, before that time, I, I had always been a little bit reticent because I, I had had my fair share of uh, uncomfortable experiences with um, overzealous fans. But, you know, I went to this show and the whole cast was there and I had such a great time and all the fans were so great. Everybody was so nice and everybody was so appreciative and I sort of got over myself and started going to these shows. And so, you know, I try to do three or four of these shows a year and it's always a blast. That's great. Well, maybe sometime they'll get you to one here on the East Coast near Boston or something, and they can put together some kind of phantasm panel. I'm sure there'd be there'd be some excitement for that. All we need is an invitation. <laughs> and uh, all right, folks. Well, that is A. Michael Baldwin, the star of the Phantasm series, the film Brutal, as well as a recent zombie Harlem Shake, which I believe came out a year or two ago, and. Uh, <laughs> we, that's a pretty funny bit, I gotta say. That's a great that that was next to the big ones they did in uh, you know, public squares, that's probably my one of my favorite ones that they did out there. Well thank you. That was a good we had one. a great time doing that. That was directed by uh, uh, photographer, horror photographer and filmmaker Joshua Hoffein, a very talented photographer and uh, storyteller and uh, people should look for him um uh, online or joshuaoffline.com or something like that. His photographs are stunning. Oh, definitely. I'll have to put up a link to his work or something. But, uh, Michael, we yeah, thank you so... He really is known as the horror photographer. He's an up-and-coming... Uh, he's got an eye for it, like Savini? Uh, the guy's just a super talented photographer. You really, folks, should check it out. So you're, you you got to be impressed by this dude. Oh, that's good stuff. And Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, we hope you have a great night and uh, continued success. And we're very much looking forward to Phantasm Ravager. And uh, I'm sure that'll uh, 
that'll break the internet when that comes out. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike. It's been my pleasure. Um, and I uh, just uh, would uh, want to just say to the people, anybody listening, thanks for supporting uh, the Fast House and Franchise. We, we really, really do appreciate uh, our fans. So thanks very much. Beautiful. All right, Mike, take care. That was actor A. Michael Baldwin. Thank you very much for calling in, Michael. That was uh, a lot of fun and uh, very informative and entertaining as always. So we appreciate that. Cool guy. Yeah, uh, he seemed all right. You know, he had a sound like he had a lovely lady there with him. I want to know but more about that. Really? Yeah. Did you hear? There was a girl like was laughing in the background. Oh, I didn't. The very very beginning. Laughing at us, probably. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. You know, yeah. Some witty comments. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not laughing with. Not laughing with us. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. I've uh, been working on that one for a little while and uh, very excited to have him on. So we hope you Phantasm fans out there enjoyed that. That was for you. So another piece in the news that uh, I've kind of been looking at is this whole protest over Uber that's going on in France. They have their version of Uber, you know, which is the kind of independent cab service that picks people up, um, not affiliated with, you know, union cab drivers right, right. Or, or official taxi services. It's called Uber Pop. That's the European version, das Uberpop, you know? And there was riots in France because right now, legally, Uber is not allowed to operate in France. They don't have a license to do it. So all these, I think it was about a thousand cab drivers, probably. Um, There was a cab drivers were rioting? Against Uber. Yeah. What a bunch of assholes. (laughs) Who cares? Dude, Uber, I, I've taken I've taken Ubers a few Me times. Too. They're awesome. I've only had one bad experience in Uber, and that was in Brooklyn last December, uh, where I, I clearly got shystered. Um, I needed to get where I was going. Uh, they We set it up and paid over a card. I got picked up, and then the guy That's said, how you do it. The guy said, oh, your, your trip has expired. We're done. I said, uh, what are you talking about, man? We paid for this ahead of time. And I'm like, I, I have cash. You know, I, I knew what was going on, but I just had to get to my cousin's place. You know, I didn't want to be stranded out in uh, out in Brooklyn mm-hmm. at like one in the morning. So I had to get, I gave him another 20 bucks on top of the $12 that the ride cost. So I kind of got shystered for 20 bucks, but that's the only bad experience I've ever had. Well, I mean, and, you, and you, if you do have a bad experience, you can go on there and, and, you know, give the person a bad review. I mean, if you take a cab, what are you going to do? Call the fucking cab company and the, they be like, oh, yeah, fucking Malik fucking, you know, treated me like shit. And the guy's well, like, well, they, we have 10 Maliks. They're more <laughs> official than above bar. They have their numbers and everything displayed. So yeah. it's like, a, how, how am I driving type thing? Like the bumper sticker on the back of something? Yeah. 1-800-ASSHOLE or whatever that thing is. Right, right. And uh, But I've taken Uber in Washington, D.C. a number of times. And my sister uses it they're all the time. fantastic. And uh, friends down there. And I've had great experiences. They yeah. got water for you. Yeah, little they, snacks. Yeah, and, snacks oh, and music. And, awesome. And it's good. And you yeah. know what? They're there in like a minute or two yeah they're like the the uber app shows you you know i mean that's uh, the free market if people want it it's gonna happen you know fucking dumb cabbies like you suck that's why people like if you were better than uber then people would be taking cabs but you're not oh i got so figure it out why can't the cab companies make an app eric and i got ripped off in boston taking a cab one time a couple years ago we had to um the the t was closed for whatever reason at uh, l wife so we called the cab and I mean that was that was ridiculous. The the fare ended up being a lot more than than it should have been. But you know those meters run different differently by company and by cab, so that's understandable. Um, but there's some concerns about Uber which I think are justified. You know things like these these drivers, these Uber drivers, looking down at their phone 
or looking at uh, whatever their device is. Doing that too. Well, yeah, but no, to get to to get the appointment to pick up the person. Right. I mean, what what is that? You know, how did, does did there's like eighty eighty percent of Uber drivers are they what? Hey, everyone's looking at their phones. Well, the, the the whole thing is the app goes through on the phone, and then while they're driving, they're going to have to make the turn. You know, like. Oh, no, mid, no, they got the mid, GPS mid-trip. up there. They got the GPS up there on the windshield like everybody else. Well, no, yeah. but the, the order comes through on their phone, I think. Yeah, no, but you have, you, they have little mounts for not your all, phone. Not for everything, not all of them. Well, I mean, if you're an Uber driver, most of them, I, I would guess you'd probably get one of those, you know. But and there, Uber probably sends you one. There's been a couple of stories of sexual harassment by oh, Uber well, who, employees. who isn't going to sexual harass? I mean, you know, we've all been there, so <laughs> but, forgiven, forgiven. You know, there's, there's bugs <laughs> and kinks, but they're going to work it out, and uh, I think it's a good thing, and it's... People can be industrious and make some good money while doing it. So, uh, you know, it's like anything. The free market will sort it out. So I say Uber, Uber strong. Yeah, there's no no one can tell me that the, the, the cab drivers in New York City are better than they're the all Uber above bar. driver. Yeah, like, are you, <laughs> like, come on now. Oh, man. Another form of transportation is riding a bicycle. Who's the most famous person to ever ride a bicycle, Aaron? Yeah, Bono. <laughs> Next to Bono, um, he's the most famous person to Charlie crash. Charlie Chaplin, bicycle. didn't he? He rode some no. bicycles. No, Bono's the most famous. person I know where to, you're going. I'm not, crash not falling into this trap. A bicycle. Come on, clickbait. Um, clickbait. Who's the most famous person to ride a bicycle? Trying to think of other people. Okay. Anyways, it's Lance Armstrong. <laughs> we know it is. Uh, also from Texas, Old I believe. I don't nut. know if Michael Baldwin has seen him driving around down there, but uh, we just watched a documentary that came out a year, two years ago, called The Armstrong Lie. And this filmmaker, uh, who was also involved in Deliver Us from Evil, the Amy Berg documentary about the Catholic Church, uh, you know, he was one of the producers on that, made this movie, The Armstrong Lie. And basically, during the 2009 Tour de France, when Lance Armstrong was coming back after like a four or five year absence, he was chronicling it and interviewing him and, you know, talking about the comeback. And then the doping scandal broke. You know, there was right. there's long, there were long-standing accusations of doping, um, blood transfusions, which I didn't even know about. Which is, are you familiar it's with badass. that one? Basically, uh, yeah, 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 something like yeah. Basically, what they do with that is they will have the uh, cyclist at a higher altitude, you know, going full crank, and they'll take a bag of their blood when they're doing that at a high altitude and store it in like a little Coleman cooler ah, and then during the race during the actual race they'll pull the, the cyclist ah. off the side of the road and give him a blood transfusion that's ah, so cool I didn't even I didn't even I knew about the doping and you know steroids or whatever and but they must have I to mean, do to it do fast that, they must have a pit crew for that you know I mean they I mean? actually stopped one of the buses to say that there was mechanical failure and the team went on the bus and they did the blood transfusion when there's tv cameras and people all over the wow. place so they they had this they had this whole and you know they had this whole racket going and once the jig was up lance came clean and went on oprah and uh then sat down again with right. this with this guy who was making this film and uh basically explained most of the situation to him i don't think he he gave away everything but it was a very interesting documentary hmm. and uh doesn't paint lance armstrong in a very good light but you know the yeah, thing I mean, is, I mean, he still did incredible things, well, whether he did it with drugs or not. I mean, it's that's still what I was saying to Eric. Crazy. I mean, the guy was in stage three cancer, I think. Yeah, and I mean, it spread to most of his body. He beat that. You know, raised millions of dollars through the Livestrong Foundation. You know, those those uh, yeah. cult like bracelets. Uh, but he did a lot of I mean, in the context of sports, your body is just a, a, a tool. So why wouldn't you make it as good a tool as it could be? Like, yeah, right. that's I, the I argument no for wrestling steroids. and base. Yeah. Right, wrestling, baseball, yeah. uh, other sports. They 
should just have two leagues for every sport. You know, if you want to fucking shoot up, the Mark McGuire league, shoot up. If you don't want to, go over here and see who gets better ratings. See which I makes more money. To you, yeah. The, if people, yeah, sports are doing hair, uh, you know, steroids would absolutely be the more popular sport. So, do you think they should have stripped Lance Armstrong of all the titles as a result of that? No, I don't. No. Yeah. I don't think so. Who gives a shit? Well, the thing Any, was, anyone, the yeah. thing was, he was. They knew it was going on for you know ninety percent of the other riders, and he was supposed to be the golden boy, the one who wasn't doing it, the one who was rising above. And yeah. then when it came out that that he was in fact doing it, it was probably the worst offender. It really uh, shattered a lot of people's. Uh, who who you know. You know. I mean, if you're looking up to someone on that level anyway, you're a fucking asshole. You know. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, no, interesting documentary. So check that out, The Armstrong Lie. That's our film review for the week. And I think we're going to stop there. Eric was not available tonight because he's catching up on Game of Thrones. Oh, is that what he's doing? Which I need to catch up on at some point. Uh, Everyone's posting freaking spoilers all over the place, so I already know 90% of what happens. mixed reviews I heard on the last one. They they killed off a major character. and uh, Two. There were dragons. More than two, I think. But Game of Thrones, great show. Looking forward very much to season six. This has been another episode of Jackman Radio. We hope you guys have enjoyed. We're going to close with some more ambient phantasm music. Good night, boy. <laughs> <laughs>